Welcome to Heartspeak Podcast, episode 251. What on earth? Welcome to the Heartspeak Podcast, where valuable insights are shared that bypass the mind and resonate with the heart. Listen, open your heart, become inspired, find the joy and fulfillment that awaits when you follow your heart. And now, here's your host, Dr. Christine Page. Well, hello there, wherever you are in the world. It's good to be back with you. And it was wonderful to have so many of you join me last week for our live session. And not only to be able to give the podcast for everybody, but also to have our discussions afterwards. And I know I'll be repeating that as it, it was so wonderful for me to meet so many of you and to be able to talk with you. And I hope you felt the same way. So today I felt it was essential to be talking about what's going on our, on our earth. And of course, what brought this to mind <laughs> was various pieces of information I read on the news, such as the Irish government decision or thought that they may kill 200,000 cows to reduce their carbon debt. And then to read that our president was thinking of blocking the sun's rays to cool down the planet, or we were going to go mining for rare minerals in the ocean beds, or maybe we were going to put iron on the ocean bed to somehow reduce the carbon. I wasn't sure on, on how that works. We have enough geoengineering going on at this time without somebody making rash decisions not based on any true evidence as to what's going on in the planet, what's going on in terms of our atmosphere, and the effects of any of these ideas. And it just makes me sad that we seem to be just reacting to a situation and perhaps not thinking it through. And I can only say that what happened over the last three years with COVID, the vaccine and the, the lockdowns really should have taught us so much about actually we need to stop and not just react. And I think that when I hear one point of view being put across, one narrative that just is repeated over and over again, whether that's, you know, stay inside or safe and effective or reduce your carbon, it just feels like, okay, I would like the idea that you have a plan, but could we go a little deeper into understanding where you brought that plan from? And I know that this subject is, is kind of controversial, and I know some of you may have very different points of view than I do, but what I thought I wanted to do is to offer some suggestions of, I will say, research that I've been looking at as to some of the subject matter that we're going to be talking about. And I will add the links to the research on my YouTube and also to the my webpage where I can also put some of the comments in. So I can't do that on some of the other sites, but I can do it there. Because what we need to be able to do is to understand our place in the world, not just our as in humans, because we also share this beautiful planet with so many other life forms, but also where do we fit into the solar system? Where do we fit into the galactic system? Where do we fit into the universe? And I think that's 
really coming to a head. And there isn't any easy solution. I mean, I think it's so multi-leveled. But to literally say, okay, the sun is the problem, let's stop the sun shining, um, seems to be just such a, a childlike way of saying, let's put an umbrella up and hope it will go away. And I think that whether or not things like chemtrails, which we know are having an effect on our atmosphere, on, on rain, on clouds, and it was somebody's great idea that, wow, we can change the, we can bring rain in or we can bring clouds in by putting something in the atmosphere into, the, into, the, into, the, uh, into our environment that will actually bring rain, et cetera. So, you know, it feels like short-term measures of saying, okay, what happens when we put silica into the air? What happens when we put iron into the water? What happens when we put fluoride into the water? We just don't seem to go to that next step. And, or we even do decent research to say, well, let's investigate what the long-term effects have been of doing this for one year, two years, five years, 10 years. It seems to be, you know, once it's in play, we're not always willing to be retrospective and say what's happened. And I think any of us in our own lives are retrospective. I hope you are. I hope I am in the sense of going, okay, that happened. <laughs> what am I going to do differently next time? And if we don't learn from our experiences, then there's no point in having the experience. So I feel that our journey is about <clears throat> taking a risk, as I talked about last time, but also learning from that. And saying, okay, what, how did that affect me? How did it affect my environment? How did it affect the people around me? And what will I do differently? Or what will I do the same, depending on my result? And it, it just feels that that isn't happening. We're not being reflective. We're not being wise with our decisions. And that will impact our future, and not only our future, but you know, our great, 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 great grandchildren's future, which really is what this planet's about, is like, do we have a survival mode uh, for generations to come? So what I'm going to do is to step way out <laughs> into an arena that I have to say we don't have much ability to control, thank goodness, but I spend a lot of time looking at how is... The galaxy affecting us how is our solar system because we're not isolated and what's happening for instance in our solar system to other planets like mars and jupiter and pluto and uranus and i've mentioned this before all of those planets are going through extraordinary environmental or atmospheric changes ones that nasa or other scientists can't actually explain for instance, something like Pluto's heating up when it should cool down, and I might be the wrong way around there, but I just get my understanding there. Uh, or Neptune is, is having extreme winds when it wouldn't have had them in the same way. Things are happening on other planets. And this allows us to suggest <laughs> that what's happening is not just purely man-made or even Earth-made. Something's happening on the sun. And the sun's reaction is to have an effect on the planets that circulate or orbit around her. So we go to the sun and we are seeing that even though we are in this active stage of the sun, as you know, it's an 11-year cycle, there is activity, but nothing compared with the effect it's having on us. 
and I'm, I'm going to come back to that. But we are seeing flares. We are seeing changes to the sun herself. So recognizing the sun, obviously, is this ball of gas, and it's being affected by something. Oh, wonder what that's being affected by. Could be this huge dust storm, I'm going to call it, coming from the center of the galaxy. So this proton storm carrying, which has dust in it or dust, dust connected proton storm from the center of the galaxy is affecting the sun. And that storm happened a long time ago because it takes a long time for anything that happens at the center of the galaxy to affect our solar system or any other star within our environment. And you might say, well, how do, how do we stop that? We can't. <laughs> I like to say that I think the times where the center of the galaxy, which is a black hole, so what it does is it absorbs everything into itself, as you might know. And then I like to say it burps. And so everything that it's taken in, it kind of, whoop, whoop, I'm going to let that one go. <laughs> so it burps and this dust, as they're describing it, it seems to be a result of such a burp, long time ago burp. <laughs> now. <clears throat> This isn't the only thing that affects our planet. So we have various insights from way back. And the way they, they look at this is either to look at ice specimens. So being able to see where there is, where there are glaciers, where there are ice packs that have been there for hundreds of, or let's say at least thousands of years, they can look and say, oh, look, there was an event that happened because this amount of ash was laid down at that time in this ice layer, or this was a time where something else happened. So they look at either ice pack, or they look at you know, a cliff itself, a place where you can actually see, like if you go to the Grand Canyon, you can see the different layers of the different levels of the soil and which layer was laid down when. They've also looked, I mean, just for interest, at also cowrie trees and the cowrie trees are these very special trees in New Zealand and they when they died and they fell into the the bogs or into the water they stayed there and of course again once you dig this up as you can do anywhere in the world but when you dig them up because the cowrie trees live for I think 1500 years you can actually see in those ancient cowrie trees ah look there was a problem here and specifically, what I'd been reading about was a problem about 24,000 years ago. And they said, ah, oh, yes, there was, a, there was a, a warming, there was a cooling, something happened. Um, certain minerals were laid down in this cowrie tree. And they could then detect that something dramatic had happened at that time to what we call New Zealand. So these periods of time, what they say is these massive shifts happen every 12,000 years, and we are overdue. So one was 24,000 years, you could go about 36,000, 48,000, et cetera, et cetera. And one happened around 12,000 years ago, which it's hard to know whether or not we can say that was the cause of what we call the Younger Dryas, where we believe that many civilizations were were caused to either have drought or floods or storms. And you might have seen some of that on Graham Hancock's work. But Graham Hancock also says, well, I think a meteor struck at that time. So it's not clear whether or not this was a meteor 
or something happened from the sun, which they call it a super flare. And so there are those who suggest that there are events that happen every 12,000 years, which is what I'm saying. But when you look at the sun, these events even happen every 6,000, even 3,000 years, where there's this extraordinary heat up of the sun and it sends out these massive uh, energized photons into our atmosphere because we're obviously part of the solar system. And, you know, this is obviously, again, recorded in whether it's trees or ice or rock. Hope you're getting the idea there. But they can see these things happening. And sometimes, depending on what's happening in a bigger sphere, it causes tremendous floods. Sometimes it's just areas, areas of the world getting flooded or drought or whatever. And you might say, well, yes, let's talk about why it's so hot in the part of the world I live in, or maybe so cold. But this is climate, what we're talking about is a climate rather than just weather. And what we're seeing here is that when these big events happen, there is a dramatic change to the atmosphere of which we're living in. And that then leads to, and I don't want to confuse you too much here, but just to say, that what we see then is a weakening of the ozone layer. And that ozone layer that we've all probably heard about for decades isn't just affected by whether or what we have aerosols, and I think we all appreciate there had to be some changes to what we used, but also it's affected by these sudden flares coming in. So what I'm saying is these flares that seem to happen 3,000, 6,000, 12,000 years ago, ago every time, um, seem to weaken the ozone layer. And when that ozone layer is weakened, then what happens is that we then have this extreme heat coming into our planet. And why I'm just wanting to just take that step back, we don't know if those sun flares 3,000, 6,000, 12,000 years are caused by something that happens in the galaxy. I just want to kind of round that up to say, we don't know because we haven't got the facility to know that is what causes these flares to happen on such a regular basis or in that period of time. But what is known is that something happens in the sun which is not just an 11 year cycle. It's something much higher and they call them super flares or supernova. It's, it's a minor nova, it's obviously not the, it's just a part of the sun seems to break off or flare up, sending these uh, highly energized photons into our atmosphere, weakening the ozone layer and having a profound effect on our climate. And what this will then have is the effect, of course, of places that are more likely to have flooding, drought, melting, etc. It's not just one thing. It's not just heating up. There's profound effects that can occur. But for us, <laughs> now I come back to our daily, we don't maybe care about what happened 12,000 years ago or 24,000. But for us today, if such a flare came through that ozone layer, and actually affected our atmosphere 
and especially our electromagnetic atmosphere, we would be profoundly affected as a, as a total species because we are so reliant on our satellites, on our levels of communication, on electromagnetic fields, etc. you understand. And it's been said that many people will not survive because we've forgotten how to live with the earth. And so if you don't know this, there are many areas in which we're totally dependent on electronics, including safe water, pumping water, if you don't have your own well, lighting, heating, AC, um, food supplies. All of these things are beyond travel and communication. And of course, our computers. And so what all I'm saying there is not to go out and panic, although some of you won't be panicking. You're already aware of all of this, and you may already have started to prepare yourselves, your world, your life around how do I take care of myself when the electronics are not working, when I don't have the things that I usually rely on. Now, I don't want you to go to bed tonight and say, oh, my God, what are we going to do? <laughs> All I'm saying is I'm not saying this has to happen, but if we're wise and we look back in time, we see these events have happened, and they have happened on a regular basis. So we cannot say I can stop this happening, and I want you just to understand that whether or not you choose to change how you live in terms of working, of course, I want to say more in harmony with nature, not using toxic, um, toxic toxins <laughs> that might actually affect the, the atmosphere. I just say is beyond all of that, we need to start to understand that we need nature more than nature needs us and that we cannot interfere with her in the way that we've been trying to do. And so becoming more natural, becoming more in tune with her is really the key to this. So I give you that big story first, <laughs> she says. But I, I really wanted to say is like, let's not be small about this. We have to understand how to work with nature, how to work with the sun, how to work with the galaxy. And from a spiritual point of view, I want to say is this isn't about surviving this. This is about how do we bring our energy to a level where we can work with this consciousness because there is an inevitability and you might say, well, I'm going to be destroyed. And the fact of the matter is it might be, well, okay, you, this has happened before. Again, I'm, I'm not trying to give you solutions. But once I started reading around this subject and I want to come back to the magnetic field of the earth, which is also a little bit of an issue, I was reading, you know, where... Every time this has happened, and let's just be honest, it's been happening, as I say, let's say every 12,000 years, the body, the human body, the bodies of other species, including the plant kingdoms, the mineral kingdoms, the animal kingdoms, have all become adapted to these changes, being able to be more nocturnal, for instance, living or living within the earth, or being able to survive with different levels of atmosphere, oxygen, etc., and they've also shown that, you know, our ability, our DNA does adapt to these changes. 
But we also have to understand that if we're trying to hold on to a certain way, that probably be, will be the way in which we will find our difficulties. In other words, adaptability is the key to this. And recognizing that we've gone through these phases many times before and our bodies have adapted. Again, I'm not trying to say, don't go and do whatever you need to do, but recognize that this is not something new to our planet, nor is it new to us as a human race. We've been around a long, long time and many of us have adapted in various ways. And my final piece on that then is the magnetic field of the earth. And I've talked about this many times that we do know that the magnetic field of the earth is weakening. The North Pole or the magnetic pole in the North is, is wandering off as it is in the South. And nobody really knows on the speed of this and whether or not there will be a complete reversal of those poles or just what we call an excursion where they, they, they transfer and then go back again. But whatever happens, that's also going to happen. As my research went on, I couldn't necessarily tie up, yes, this always happens in alliance with the solar flares or with the galaxy burping. It, you know, we, nobody's really put that all together, but it seems a coincidence that we're having this magnetic weakening at the same time we're having the problem with the solar flares and also the galaxy burping. So I also see this as, if I, again, I'm being not too simplistic, I want to say this is a spiritual shift. This is a shift where we're saying everything is reversing. Everything is not only reversing, but the polarization, the way we saw our planet is changing. And I like to think that there is a new world there, a world in the fifth dimension, a world that is not caught up with a lot of the traumas that we have on this dimension. That doesn't mean that this physical world won't go through the changes. I'm just saying it asks us to say, which world do we want to live in? And again, that might sound a bit strange, but if we're going through a transition, then so is Gaia, Mother Earth. So is the sun. And I think this is what is also causing some of the disruptions that we're seeing is their shifting consciousness. And again, not trying to get too metaphysical and you're saying, yeah, but what about me? <laughs> I'm only saying is think big because I think that so much is shifting and it's both scary and exciting because whatever's coming from the galaxy is also much higher levels of consciousness amongst this dust than we've ever seen before. So let's see this burp as a healthy burp that's allowing energy to come in, consciousness to come in, doors to open, portals to open in ways we've not seen before. Now, my final piece is about the carbon, and I'm, I promise I'm not going to go too long into that, but the carbon dioxide. I listened to an article or an interview where they were asking specialists on the subject of a carbon dioxide is how much carbon dioxide did they think was in the air? And these were the specialists. And they were telling everybody, oh, we, we need to not be breathing out carbon dioxide because let's be clear, everything or all mammals breathe out carbon dioxide. It's not just humans. So you come to this conclusion and they said, oh, I think it's about 4%. Oh, I think it's 5%. And they were laughing amongst themselves. And the interviewers say, you do know it's only 0.04%. And it was like, how do you not know that? 
how do you not have an understanding of just this minute amount of carbon dioxide in the air? Now, what they'll say is, ah, yes, but the carbon dioxide builds up greenhouse gases. Well, you know, greenhouse gases is all being overplayed, I'm sorry to say. And we don't live in a greenhouse. We live in a place that has different levels of atmosphere, let's call it that. And as the magnetosphere, which is our magnetic field, is weakening, really these greenhouse gases are not trapped. In fact, they're being released more and more easily. So let's put aside the greenhouse gases because they're being, the idea is being misused because the idea of being inside a glass container is not true to us. So we, as we know, we breathe out carbon dioxide, the plants through photosynthesis and the light of the sun transform that carbon dioxide, use it for their own nutrients and release oxygen. So we have this wonderful system that works, not again, just for humans, but for the animal kingdoms and how we relate to the plant kingdoms. And that cycle has been there for, forever. <laughs> and it's an essential one. And from my, again, research has shown that if the carbon dioxide levels go to 0.02%, we all become extinct. And it doesn't usually go more than about 0.06 because that's a saturation. And when I've looked at the relationship between carbon dioxide and heating so many times over, again, this huge period of time that's been studied, is that there was warming first, then the carbon dioxide went up. And they believe it was because actually there was the, the warming brought more life and therefore more expression of this carbon dioxide. So I just want to say there's very, from the science I've read, there's little correlation between the warming and the carbon dioxide. And I think we need to separate that out. The other side of this is, you know, what produces carbon dioxide beyond this? As you know, we are carbon-based. We're very strongly carbon-based. Yes, we have oxygen, hydrogen in us, but we, we, I think we have about 18% of carbon in us. We are not silica-based. We are carbon-based animals. And when I hear this net zero, and here's my conspiracy theory, I think about, are you trying to make us net zero carbon? In other words, I am a carbon being, so if I'm net zero, does that mean you don't want me to exist? Are you saying I won't exist? Because the reason that we put out carbon dioxide is because we're carbon-based. It's the processes within our body that are carbon-based that we produce the carbon dioxide. Because carbon dioxide can move easily between gases and liquids, etc. So it's, it's not just one thing. Also, the trees are all carbon-based. So we're a very carbon-based society, a planet. And as you know, that you know, when a tree where there are forest fires, there's a huge output of carbon dioxide because you're burning carbon dioxide. Now, again, if you're burning fossil fuels, yes, there's an output of carbon because fossil fuels come from dead trees <laughs> and dead trees, trees are, are carbon-based. So it's not to say, yes, don't, you know, we need to reduce our fossil fuel debt or how much we use that. But the idea of using wind and solar is not actually working. It certainly can't power the world. 
And it also has its problems, as you know. So we have the big problem with lithium. We now have lithium farms, most of which are using sulfuric acid, although I know there are new plans in the works. But we're being taken over by this. What are we doing? You know, if you've ever had a lithium battery and someone says, oh, you can't just put that in the bin. <laughs> no, you can't just get rid of it in the way you have. So all forms of electricity, including electric cars, electric, get the word, wind, solar, all use cobalt and lithium and other more precious metals to try and keep this going. This isn't the answer. This isn't the way to go. And there are far too many other problems when we decide to put winds, wind farms or in the water or wind farms on the earth. If we're really honest, we need to go to Tesla's ideas. And Tesla, as you might know, knew all about this. And he understood there was free energy in the earth. He ran a car and he ran power stations, I think, not power stations, but at least powered up different equipment for the, using the free energy of the earth. And from what I've understood, this is how, why the pyramids were built. There was an understanding when we can harmonize the energy of this free energy with a crystalline form in the pyramid, we then can bring that free energy up. In other words, when there's an equal exchange of energy, a harmonization, free energy is available, which makes sense. Things went wrong, they believe, where there might have either been a, an earthquake or something happened which distorted all that energy. If you want to read more, look at Christopher Dunn's work. But so interesting that to receive that free energy, we need to be in harmony with that planet, just as it's almost like if I want to have a relationship with you, we need to have that harmonization. And then there's just free energy. I'm not taking from you. You're not taking from me. There's just free energy. Does that make sense? Tesla knew this. The ancient people knew this. They knew how to harmonize with the earth energies, of which we're still totally unfamiliar and we're really... So many things that we're doing that we feel we shouldn't be doing. <laughs> in other words, what we're interfering with the ocean beds or in the planet itself. But once we start to work in harmony with those earth energies, there's no reason why we shouldn't be able to bring this energy through uh, to power everything that we want. That is our future. I understand there's over 6,000 patents waiting to be accepted, but are being blocked by the few who know about this, know about free energy and how to do this, but they're not letting the rest of the world know. I hope this will change soon. My very last piece here is about the cows, coming back to my cows. And I've seen a couple of different interviews with farmers who really understand the process of why animals need to be able to walk or graze or run across the prairies, across the grasslands. And having spent a lot of time in Ireland and seeing the most beautiful, healthy cattle on the most beautiful, healthy grass, in other words, the Emerald Isle, that's why they call it that. Same in, in New Zealand in the, in the olden days, <laughs> before we started uh, ice insulating the animals. But when you allow the grazing to take place, what happens is that the animal starts to move across the earth 
Yes, it poops onto the earth, which is carbon. It also tramples in the grass, the plant, which is also a carbon base. And what happens, that carbon, because of the movement of the animal, it actually goes deeper into the earth. And then what happens that the carbon then gets taken in by the microbiome or the microorganisms within the earth. And we then call that humus. And many of us have had compost piles. And humus is the most wonderful uh, type of soil to create new growth, isn't it? We all love having that sort of soil. And it's said that once you start to actually allow the cattle to move around or the animals on the grass, this process is that the carbon will be taken into the earth. It will therefore not be free, but what happens is you get the microorganisms within the earth start to bring the most rich soil that will bring abundance to everyone. And what we've done by GMO and pesticides is to stop that. The earth at the moment, many places around the world, the earth where it's not had live animals on it or has had pesticides, it's become sterile. Or the animals are kept in cages or, or kept in a place where they actually are nowhere near the grass. So when I've listened to farmers who say, no, we move our cattle, we move our sheep, we move our animals across the grasslands, this is the future. So when I hear someone, when I hear people say, we're going to give up farming and fishery and we're going to give the land back to nature, I'm sorry. Nature is the movement of animals across the ground. And you cannot just allow one species to proliferate. This isn't the way of nature. So the ability to actually work in harmony where we understand the, the richness between the plant kingdoms and the animal kingdoms and ourselves is so important. And so this is my message. Let's go deeper. Let's have harmony. Let's find real solutions. Let's talk to the farmers who know something. My only thought when I hear someone, you know, someone say, <laughs> I won't say who, let's get rid of fisheries and farming, the only reason they would do that is the same reason why they're wanting to get rid of carbon dioxide and carbon. Us producers, we are the carbon dioxide producers, is to actually get rid of us. And that might sound dramatic, but if we don't have farming and fishing in the way that we've known, then that just gives the doorway open and opening a door to those who want us to eat food from a laboratory. And that can never, ever give us what we need as human beings. We need a life force that comes from the earth because she is conscious. We can never, ever receive consciousness and life from a laboratory. So I leave you with that. You now understand why I say what on earth. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the HeartSpeak Podcast with Dr. Christine Page. Please check out all HeartSpeak episodes in the podcast archive section on www.christinepage.com. HeartSpeak is also available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and now playing on Amazon Music and iHeartRadio. You can also watch the archive podcast on Christine's channel on YouTube and now on Rumble. Connect with Christine on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Facebook. 
including her newest Facebook group, The Great Mother Calling. You share with family, friends, colleagues. Join us next time for another edition of Heart Speak.